Father, I want to thank you for your grace to us in Jesus that we come to your throne. Because of Christ, we come to your throne in heaven as we pray. And we find your throne to be a throne of grace. That you're kind and merciful to us. You actually want us in your presence. And so, Lord, we praise you for your work in our lives and on our behalf because of Christ. And Lord, I pray that as we study your word, you would do what none of us in this room could do. That you would make it clear that you would stir up faith and obedience in our hearts. That our lives would be transformed by the Holy Spirit's power as we consider the truth of your word. And not only do we pray for ourselves, but God, I pray for all of the churches of Jesus in this community. Specifically, I pray for Pastor Bobby and the fellowship of believers there at Faith Presbyterian. Lord, I thank you for his faithful love of the Bible as your word the gospel of Jesus Christ as the only power that you have given to be saved. And Lord, I pray you would encourage him, stir not only him, but that that whole church family to not only gather in power, but to scatter into this community in power as a testimony to the gospel of Jesus. Lord, do what only you can do today. Be glorified among us. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. This morning we're going to continue the series of studies that we've been in in 1 Peter. Uh, over the last two weeks we have encountered the first two verses. So we're basically pacing along at a verse at a time. We're going to be studying 1 Peter for seven and a half years at this rate, okay? Or until Jesus returns. But either way, it's going to be a good time. Uh, for those of you that haven't been here the last couple of weeks, let me just share with you, Peter, this book, 1 Peter, is a letter that is written by a guy named Peter to a group of Christians who were scattered throughout the Roman Empire, and they were experiencing various kinds of suffering and persecution and pain in their life. And what God does through Peter is he teaches us how to live when life gets hard, when life gets tough. And so this is a, it's a letter for every person who encounters the difficulty of life on how we can live with hope and peace and joy and holiness in the face of overwhelming odds and obstacles. And so we're going we're gonna to pick up where we left off last week. Last week we looked at the end of verse 2 and we're going to just pick up right here in verse 3. And this is the, the, the start of the first big section of teaching that Peter gives to us in this letter. So let's begin reading 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'll start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being, being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a, a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. This is the word of God for us today. So here's how we're going to approach this. I'm going to attempt, by God's grace, to get through more than one verse this week. You guys with me? All right, can we do this? I think we can, by, by God's grace. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to take each phrase or kind of each little chunk uh, of, of phrase that, that Peter gives to us and unpack it a little bit, kind of a phrase at a time. Then we'll get to the big idea for this passage of scripture. So let's look at the first phrase. And this is the first thing that Peter does after the introduction. He says, 
says here in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then a, a few verses down, he sort of comes back around to that, that call to, to blessing or praise by saying in verse 6, in this you rejoice. So he says, blessed be God, and in this you rejoice. Let's just, let's look at those two concepts really quickly. Seems kind of odd that you would write a letter to people who are suffering, and you would start not by saying, hey, I'm sorry about what you're going through. That's how I normally start conversations when I hear about someone who's going through a very difficult time. I normally say, hey, I'm so sorry about what you're going through. Peter doesn't start this letter this way. He starts by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word blessed comes from the Greek word eulogitos, and that's related to a Greek word called eulogia, and it's the word we get our English word eulogy from. And that Greek word originally started off by referring to praiseworthy words, words of praise about someone or something, and over time, we adopted it as a eulogy, right? A eulogy is a, 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 a speech that's given at a funeral, right? So the word blessed actually is the word eulogy, um, so just beware. Next time someone says, I want to bless you, that may be that they want to say a word at your funeral. So you just, be, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so here's the story. It didn't always mean a funeral speech because here's what happened. Over time, we realized that people say really nice things at funerals, right? And normally, sometimes to the point where you're attending a funeral and you're like, am I at the right funeral? I don't recognize this guy. I have to go look at the casket just to make sure I, I recognize the person they're talking about. So here's the Blessed is praiseworthy words, a, a, a worth to be praised. And it's a reference to how it is that we are being called to praise God. So the first thing that Peter really instructs us in when we're going through trials in life isn't, sorry what you're going through, it's praise God. That sounds kind of odd, right? It's not just praise God though. It's not just some kind of heartless say nice things about God thing, is it? It's verse six, in this you rejoice. He says, praise God with a heart filled with joy. It's kind of crazy. Don't, don't just say nice things about God. Feel nice things about God because God isn't glorified by words of praise unless they're motivated by hearts of joy. And I was thinking about that. That's what Peter's telling us to do. He's saying, hey, you need to say praiseworthy things about God. Think praiseworthy things about God. He deserves to be praised, but he's not glorified just by you saying nice things. It needs to come from a heart of joy. I thought about a situation that kind of reminded me of what we're looking at here. Uh, because it seems kind of odd a little bit for people who are suffering to be told, don't just praise God, praise God and mean it, right? Have you guys ever, let let me just say it this way. Have you ever um, heard someone try to compliment a dinner that tastes awful? You guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, I remember several years ago, I was in the Philippines with my dad, and uh, we went to some village where they were providing dinner for all of us. Dad, you might remember this. And, and they were serving something they called, and I'll try to get the right language right, uh, they called it fried chicken. Okay, here's the story though. I grew up in the home of a Baptist preacher, so I know fried chicken. Like, I'm basically an expert in fried chicken. Most Baptist preachers I know refer to their big bellies as a fried chicken graveyard. And so there's a a whole history I have of fried chicken. But here's the story. I can actually tell you the difference between extra crispy and and, and regular in a blindfolded taste test. I'm just saying, I know fried chicken. And there I am in the Philippines. And what I was being given to eat didn't look or taste anything like fried chicken. And then I, can, I kind of remembered 
some of my Filipino friends in a really good natured but very serious way were, were telling me through the week, you know, in the Philippines, dog is a delicacy. And so there I am, and I'm, I'm eating this fried chicken, um, and I can't help but think, what if they named the dog chicken so they could tell me, honestly, we're serving fried chicken? I mean, I, here I am in this spot. Well, anyhow, I don't want to offend the host. I know I'm supposed to say nice things to them, so I try to muster up some form of a compliment, even though my stomach is sitting there churning. And so I think I said something like this. I just want to say, I want to say thank you for providing us with this meal. You really shouldn't have done this. Um, <laughs> It was so, so very, I mean, wow. I think that's all I could say. So, so here's, what are you supposed to do in that situation, right? You, you know you're supposed to say something nice, but you, you just don't have the same motivation as if you're sitting down at a table where Emily's roast beef and mashed potatoes are being served. And if you've never had Emily's roast beef and mashed potatoes, I'm just saying, people, that will fill you with joy. You've not had this, so I'm just, just take my word on this. And here's, here's why I bring that up. I realize that's how a lot of us feel. When we enter into a, a word like this in the scripture, where we know we should praise God, and we may even know God deserves to be praised, and we may even know a lot of things we could say about God, but when life gets tough and when trials come, we know we should say good things about God. We know we should absolutely recognize good things about God, but we just don't feel like it in the middle of our pain. There are times where we say, I absolutely know that God is good, I just don't feel that God is good. I absolutely know that God is faithful. I just don't feel that God is faithful. And here we have, right out of the chute in this book, written on how to live when life gets tough, praise God and mean it. Blessed be God in this, you rejoice. And so I am so thankful that God stirred Peter to write what he wrote in between this call to praise God in verse 3 and in this reminder of why we rejoice in verse 6. And what he shares with us in between these two phrases gives us, as followers of Jesus, reason to rejoice to the praise of God. So let me give you the big idea of what takes place in between these two phrases in verse 3 and verse 6, and then I'll unpack it a little bit at a time. Here's what we see in in verses 3 through 6. Even in trials, you can praise God when you know you are saved by God's mercy and kept by God's power. Amen. You can praise God in the trials of your life when you know that you are saved by God's mercy and you are kept by God's power. Let me show you that from this passage of Scripture. Let's go to that first part. You're saved by God's mercy. Look at verse 3 again. Blessed or... Praiseworthy things be said about God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According, listen, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has caused us to be born again. Now, that phrase may sound uh, kind of unfamiliar to you, or maybe it sounds mysterious. What's the reference to being born again? Well, let me give you some background on this. The Bible clearly teaches that every single one of us have strayed away 
away from the way that God has said life is supposed to be lived. We've strayed away from God's design for humanity, for the life that we're being called to live in honor to Him and and our good as well. And so because of straying in disobedience, we've entered into what the Bible calls sin. That straying from God's design is what the Bible refers to as sin. And because of sin, because all of us have sinned, Romans 3 tells us, we have broken not only God's design, we've actually been cut off, separated from the life of God Himself. As a matter of fact, the Bible goes so far as to say that because of our disobedience and sin, we are so cut off from the life of God Himself that we have become spiritually dead. In our sin, we are spiritually dead. Now, sometimes there are people who describe their lives as missing something. I can't quite put my finger on it. I, I know there's something more. I just, I just don't feel fully alive. Well, every one of those feelings is a remnant. It's the residue of being disconnected from the fullness of God's life. And so the biggest problem facing every man, woman, and child is a sin problem, a problem that has resulted in spiritual death. And the Bible says that if we die, in that condition separated from the life of God we will spend eternity separated from the life of God living with the consequence of eternal spiritual death and the condemnation of God's wrath but God is so kind He is so merciful that He did not want us to stay in that condition. God gave us His Son, Jesus, to live out perfect humanity where we had blown it. Jesus came to live a perfect life that none of us have lived. And He died a death that all of us should have died as a payment, a punishment for our sin. But you guys know this. Jesus didn't just live. Jesus didn't just die. Jesus was raised again to new life three days later. And in that moment, He proved His power to please God and to have a perfect, everlasting, powerful, incorruptible life. And what the Bible says then is that if we will place our faith and trust in Jesus, His life, death, and resurrection to be the payment for our sin and God's solution to our sin problem, then we will be what the Bible refers to as saved. We will be saved from enduring the eternal punishment of eternal death as a separation from God in our sin. We will be saved from spending eternity wrapped up in spiritual death. And that's part of the significance of why Peter would use the phrase born again. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are reconnected to the life of Almighty God through Jesus. It's a brand new birth, a brand new life. And that's why Peter says he's caused us to be born again. We have new life in Jesus, but we don't just have new life. He says, look at this, verse 3. We're not just born again. We're born again to a living hope. We have hope because of Jesus. Now, the word hope is, is tricky a little bit. We use the word hope to describe wishful thinking. And I think a lot of us are familiar with the way that works. My daughter Mia has a birthday this week. You guys want to congratulate Mia on her birthday? Hey, Mia. Happy birthday, boo. This Friday. It's your day. She has a birthday coming up this Friday. And if you would have asked her several weeks ago what she wanted for her birthday, she could have told you. Um, I've been informed recently that it's a woman's prerogative to change her mind. I don't know if you still want what, what you wanted several weeks ago, but if, if, you would have, if you would have asked her several, several weeks ago, hey, what do you want for your birthday? She could have told you. And then if you followed up with this question, hey, do you think you'll get it? She may have said something like this, I hope so. 
You guys know that feeling? I hope so. It's, it's wishful thinking. It's like saying, I really want it, but I don't know if I'm going to get it. You guys know what I'm talking about? Do, do you? I don't I mean, let me go back. Hold, hold on. My daughter Mia is having a birthday this Friday. Mia, there's, I'll start all over at the beginning. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's, I hope so. I just don't know. Here's what you need to know. Oh, cool. Thanks. I appreciate it. You are awake. That is not how the Bible uses the word hope. This wishful thinking, I hope so, but, but I'm not sure, I don't know. That's not how the Bible uses the word hope. The, the concept of hope in the Bible is confident expectation about our future good. It's not just, I, I hope so, but I don't know. It's absolutely, I know. Yeah. I am confident that it will be so. So I, I thought of a scenario to try and connect this with you. And I don't know if you'll be able to track with me or not. Um, I can never predict with you people. So just hang with me and smile and nod, okay? That's all you got to do, just smile and nod. Would you imagine this? This isn't true, but imagine this is true. Imagine that living forever, being a part of eternity with God Almighty in heaven, that being, that being in heaven forever and being reconnected to God, that that, that depended, okay, now, now hear me out on this, don't, don't boo me yet, that depended. The way you live forever in the presence of God, or some of you might say the way you go to heaven forever, depended on you being able to win a dance contest. You guys with me? You got to win a dance contest to go to heaven. Now, now I'm not saying that that's the way it is. I'm saying imagine that that's the way it is. So if you want to go to heaven, what do you got to do? Okay, so if somebody just cut that section out of our service and like posted it online, we would be kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention as heretics. But, but anyhow, I digress. So imagine that that's what you got to do to go to heaven, to, 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 to spend eternity with God. Um, but, but something happened in, in, in this story. You were paralyzed from the neck down. And so you hear that, that you have to win a dance contest to go to heaven, but, but then you, you, say, you say this. You say, I, I know what has to happen for me to be right with God and to live forever with Him, but I have no hope of that. I can't do it. In that situation, you'd be hopeless, right? Hopeless. I can't, I can't do it. But, but then imagine, okay, since we're imagining, imagine that someone comes by and says, hey, there's a rule you don't know about in this dance contest. There's a rule you don't know about. Someone can actually dance in your place. Just hearing that news that, hey, there's this new opening might fill your heart with what we would call hope. But it would still be the wishful thinking hope where you would say, I hope whoever's dancing in my place can actually do it, right? I hope whoever's dancing for me is a good dancer. That's wishful thinking. You guys tracking with me still? All right. Whether or not, I'm just going to push right through. But then imagine that you found out I was dancing for you. Yeah. If you were here at night to shine, here's what you know. You'd be all the way back at hopeless again. Like all the way back to hopeless again. No matter how many Saturday night fevers I throw out there, you guys know this. You have no hope of winning that dance contest if I'm dancing on your behalf. But, 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 but what if, what if word came in, right? I'm getting way too into this, aren't I? Just, just, just let me do this, okay? A word comes in at the last minute. I'm not dancing for you. My partner, Chad Mitchell, 
You guys know Chad. I introduced you to Chad a couple weeks ago. Chad, Chad is dancing for you. Chad, just imagine, Chad has perfect moves. I mean perfect moves. He has this spin. See what I'm talking about? Chad is dancing. That's me over there clapping. That's the best I can try to do at dancing. Chad's got perfect moves. Just imagine this. Chad's the best dancer in the world by far. And by the way, Chad was here in the early service. He's loving this illustration, by the way. In that moment... When you realize, oh, i got to win a dance contest, but I can't do it. I'm paralyzed. Oh, oh, wait a second. Someone can dance for me. Oh, it's not going to be Titus. Oh, it's going to be Chad, the guy who's the best dancer in the entire world. Something would well up in your heart. You would say, there's no way he can lose. And since he's dancing in my place... There's no way I can lose. You'd be filled with confidence. And someone might say, hey man, why are you so hopeful about this? And you'd say, Chad, he's my hope. Now your hope isn't wishful thinking. Now your hope is confident expectation. And your hope is not just confident expectation. Your hope has become a person. Your hope is now a living hope named Chad Mitchell with the best moves you've ever seen on a dance floor, right? All right, let's see if you can get back to real life now that I've painted such a beautiful picture for you here. That's what Peter's referring to in 1 Peter chapter 3. Jesus has already danced in our place. He did it perfectly. Better than anyone else could possibly have ever done it. The way you and I blew it, Jesus didn't blow it. He danced in our place perfectly. And He already defeated all the other competition. And He won the prize. And He was crowned the victor the day He rose from the dead at His resurrection. So now you and I can have brand new life. Everlasting life, born into the family of God through Jesus and our hope, our confident expectation is a living hope because Jesus is our hope and he's alive. And do you know what the basis is for us entering into that new life, that born again family of God life? It isn't coming to a church. It isn't doing good works. It isn't even reading your Bible. It's not having a better heart than your neighbor. The basis for your new life in Jesus is that God is merciful. Yes. He's merciful. And He's not just merciful. What does verse 3 say? Look at that again. It says, according to His mercy. No, it doesn't say according to His mercy. It says, according to His great mercy. That word great means many or much, a lot. It's a way of describing something when there's a whole lot of it. I think the, 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 the literal Greek is a boatload of mercy. You guys know what a boatload is? You guys got it? A boatload? Somebody might come to you and be like, hey man, how much is a boatload? How, how, how many cups are in a boatload? How many gallons or pounds are in a boatload? And you're like, I, don't know how many, I don't know how many gallons are in a boatload. I just know there's a lot. And then they like, how, how much is a lot? And you'd say, I don't know, just more than enough. That's the word he's using here. That's what he's saying. 
He's saying Jesus doesn't just give mercy. He has great mercy. And you might say, man, I sin an awful lot. I mean, I've done some really terrible things. How much mercy does God have? A boatload. A lot. More than enough for you. So you want the first reason to rejoice and praise God? Look at verse 3 again and let's just read this verse with that understanding. Blessed praise. You got something good to say about God now? Praiseworthy words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His great, more than enough, boatload of mercy He has caused us in our brokenness and sin and suffering and pain to be born again where all of our life was death, perpetual death, missing something we couldn't put our finger on. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope because Jesus is our hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You have reason to rejoice today because you are saved by the mercy of God through Jesus and you can be confident in your expectation for future good because your hope is a person who's alive, whose name is Jesus. Yeah, that's reason to rejoice. But wait, there's more. I, I feel like I literally could have just shot an infomercial with that phrase right there. Did you guys feel that? I'm sorry, I had to celebrate it, but wait, there's more. If you call right now, look at verse 4. We're not, ju- we're not just given this blank life that has no description. Look at verse 4. There's something that happens when we're a part of God's family. It's something about our future that we can be confident in. Look at verse 4. To an inheritance. We have been born again according to God's mercy by the work of Jesus who is our hope. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Man, I was thinking about something this week, and you're going to be jazzed when I tell you about it. Are you ready? Are you ready to be jazzed? I'm so ready to be jazzed. Hey, somebody was like, I'm really worried about your energy level having to preach two times in a row. I think I'm doing just fine if you ask me, but here's the story. I'm getting jazzed up here. I thought of something this week, and you're going to be pumped when you hear about it, so just sit back, buckle up. Can you imagine this week, this week, can you imagine that you get a message from the attorney for Maria Fisolo telling you that you are the sole heir of her estate? Hold on, wait a second. You guys, you guys aren't pumped about that automatically? Maria Fisolo. Okay, so, so you guys don't know who Maria Fisolo is. Okay, let me tell you this. Maria Fisolo is a part of the family that runs a snack food empire that gave the world Tic Tacs and Nutella. All right? It's getting good, right? Lifetime supply. Hey, because when you eat a sandwich made of Nutella, you'd like to follow it up with some Tic Tacs. Lifetime supply. Here's a little added bonus. You ready for the bonus? She's worth $25 billion. Got a message this week. From the attorney, letting you know you're the sole heir to the estate of Maria Fisolo. $25 billion. Oh, wait, there's more. Not only are the sole heir, that means you get it all. What if I told you, Miss Mar- and Miss Maria, if you're here, I, I don't mean anything offensive by this at all. Um, what if I told you Maria's 99 years old? <laughs> That means not only do you get it all, you get it all real soon. You know what I'm talking about? 
$25 billion right around the corner. If you were told... <laughs> Do we have any relatives of Maria Fisolo in here? <laughs> cool. Uh, if you were told, hey, you get, you're getting ready. You're right around the corner from inheriting $25 billion and all the Nutella and Tic Tacs your heart would ever desire. Would you get wrapped around the axle if you got a note letting you know that you owed 100 bucks to the IRS? No. Because that little, tiny, momentary setback doesn't change the fact you're in the money, dude. You're getting ready to inherit billions of dollars. And Peter tells these people in the middle of their light and momentary suffering, something is coming that's infinitely better. You are a part of the family of Almighty God. That makes you an heir. An heir of what? An heir of everything that belongs to God. Hey, what belongs to God? Does Nutella belong to God? What about all the Tic Tacs in the world? 25 billion? How much in Bitcoin? All of it. It all belongs to God. You get me? And it's all yours. I don't think we get this. It's all yours in Jesus. The day is coming when you will step into your inheritance. Everything that belongs to God will be given to His children and we will reign with Him forever as sons and daughters of the King of kings. Heaven and earth. And everything it contains will be given to us in Jesus. That's our inheritance. It is incorruptible. That means it'll last forever. It's undefiled. That means it's in perfect condition with no taint of anything bad. It's unfaint, unfading. That means it's never going to get old. It'll never get boring. It'll never get worn out. It'll never diminish in any way. What we're going to enter into is an eternal inheritance in Jesus Christ in the presence of God our Father that is perfect in every way. It's a thrill that won't diminish, a pleasure that never grows old, a delight that only becomes more and more delightful as one moment is multiplied on the next and that is ours in Jesus Christ and it comes to us because of mercy we don't earn it we never could it's mercy it's not based on our wisdom or our power or our goodness or our record it's mercy it is based on the work of Jesus Christ and it comes to us it is ours by the mercy of God and look at the end of verse 4 it's kept in heaven for you. That word kept is basically the same as, as when we talk about something in safe keeping. It's guaranteed. It's a stone cold lead pipe lock. I think. I think that's what that means. So then you ask this question, well, well, well if it's kept in heaven, um, do, do, you think, do you think it's kept by a, a certain power in heaven? What power do you think is in heaven? Like what power you think it is in heaven? You think, do you think God contracted with Brinks to, to secure our inheritance? What do you think? No, it's kept by the power of God. Do you know what that means? Do you think God can keep something safe? Yeah. How's, the, how's the thing that God is guarding going to get taken away if, the, if something's stronger than God? Can I ask you, is, is there anything stronger than God? Well, what if the IRS wants to take it away? Good luck, right? What if the economy tanks? Who cares? What if you aren't as strong as you used to be? 
No biggie. What if you get sick? It's coming to an end. What if people no longer like you? I didn't like them in the first place. What if your marriage falls apart? Well, we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But none of it, none of it is stronger than God. And our inheritance that comes to us by mercy is kept in the safety of God's protective care. It is guaranteed for us. But our inheritance isn't the only thing guaranteed. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says who? Not what. He's not talking about the inheritance now. He's talking about the people who get the inheritance. Who are the people that get the inheritance? People who are born again by, by mercy. People who are trusting in Jesus. So he's saying people who are trusting in Jesus in verse 5 who are by God's power, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We are kept by God's power. Do you realize that? We are being guarded by God's power. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, that's why it says through faith. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are being guarded by God. That word guarded is used to describe a prison guard. So no one could come into the prison. No one could leave the prison unless the guard wanted it to happen. Nobody could come in. Nobody's going out without the approval of the guard. It also is used to describe... A city. No one can enter the city. No one can leave the city unless the guard wants them to come in. And that's how it works with our salvation. You hear that? That's how it works for those of us who are in Jesus Christ. We are saved and born again by God's work, by God's mercy, not our works. And when we are in, buddy, we're staying in. And nothing is coming in. Or going out unless it comes through God. And here's the question. What's stronger than God? Nothing. Some people wonder and they they ask me, and I know that we're running out of time on this. We'll get back in the book of 1 Peter next week and we'll talk a little more about this down the road. But some people wonder, hey, I wonder, can I be saved and lost and then do I need to get saved again and then lost again? I mean, what if I mess up? Or, hey, sometimes I feel my weakness. Hey, sometimes I don't even feel very saved. Some people say, hey, I fail or I failed once or I kept on failing once or I failed a lot of times once or twice or more than that. What do I do then? And they wonder, hey, hey, how, how how could I be saved? Well, listen to me. I want you to hear me. God forbid that I would ever diminish the role of holiness in the life of a follower of Jesus. Later on in this chapter, we're going to see that we were saved for holiness. We were saved so that God could transform us and he could transform who we are and how we live. I do not ever want to diminish that. We'll talk about that in the weeks to come, but I don't ever, ever want to diminish this either. Listen to me. The only way that our weakness or our failing can undo our salvation is if they are stronger than God. And they aren't stronger than God. That's not permission to continue in sin. As a matter of fact, if our heart doesn't want to defeat sin, then we have question as to whether we've ever been born again or not. But when we are born again, when we are in Christ... When you are in, you're in to stay because you are guarded by the power of God and nothing is stronger than God. 
So you want some reasons to rejoice today? Well, let me give you a couple. No matter what you're going through, no matter how hard your life is, no matter how dark the world might be, no matter how difficult the journey is that you are on, you need to hear this. Jesus Christ has made a way for you to be right with God, to be kept right with God, to be born again into God's family, to be the heir of everything belonging to God, to be delivered into an eternal experience of perfect joy and pleasure forevermore in the presence of Almighty God that will never diminish or grow old and that salvation from this mess of this world and our own sin comes to us by God's mercy and we are kept by God's power your salvation is as strong as God and it's guaranteed because of Jesus it's finished and it's ready to be revealed and we're almost there sure trials are going to come But they're not going to have the final word for the people of God. So what do we do? I mean, what's the application of this? Well, first, trust in Jesus. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do not leave this place without acknowledging your brokenness and sin, without being able to say, I know that I'm paralyzed spiritually. I can't do anything to save myself Confess that Jesus has done for you what you can't do. He lived a perfect life you couldn't live. He died a death you should have died. And he was buried and rose again three days later so that if you would trust in him, the Bible says you will be saved and born into the family of God. Don't leave this place without knowing that you are kept by God's power by being saved by His mercy. Our pastors are going to be at the, at the front of the, the, the sanctuary this morning at the close of our service. If you would like to talk with us, we would love to pray with you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. But I realize that many of you would say, I do believe, I am trusting in Jesus. Well, I want to, I want to share with you, here's what, your, here's what your application point is. Praise God. Praise God with joy meditate on these truths and ask God to stir up authentic joy in your life consider that you have been saved by God's power and you are being kept by God's grace and praise God would you bow your heads with me Father I ask you to stir up joy in our hearts that we would really believe that All of this is so true. And God, I pray that you would help us to believe that even more real, even more certain than the hardness of our life is the goodness of your grace. And Lord, I pray that you would allow us in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, to be stirred to joy when we think about all that you are and have done for us in Jesus. And God, I pray that no one would leave this room this morning without having placed their faith and trust in Christ and and depending wholly and completely on his work to save them by their grace. Lord, we love you, we bless you, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.